Thanks, Nathan. Grateful. Let's pray together as we look at this uh, powerful scripture this morning. Father, we'd like to thank you that we can gather within these walls listening for your voice. And now we ask for the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit to speak to us, each one of us, Father, individually, in order that you might shape us collectively as a community to be people of hope in our city and in our world. We'll thank you for that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to kind of fly above our text first to give you a why regarding the significance of this text and then go down into some pretty detailed uh, consideration of the, of the text that we're looking at this morning, uh, these 10 lepers who were healed and the one who returns to give thanks. It, there's a great deal of significance in the story, but I'll begin by telling you the why of the story. And, and the why for our time is because we struggle with two things that are uh, not dissimilar to the first century in, in Rome among uh, Christ followers and religious people, and that's the, the problem of tribalism and the problem of individualism. And these are slightly different, but they feed each other. It's kind of an ecosystem. Individualism creates tribalism. Tribalism furthers individualism. There's a cycle. And I would suggest that many in our culture are stuck in this cycle of tribalism and individualism. David Brooks, uh, New York Times columnist, wrote an article about these two things and how they function as an ecosystem, and I'll read uh, briefly from it here, quoting directly. Uh, Brooks begins by talking about Martin Luther King and a time maybe 50 years ago that is different substantially than our time today. This is what he says. Martin Luther King described segregation and injustice as forces tearing us apart and appeal to universal principles of our common humanity as ways to heal prejudice and unite the nation. He appealed to commonly known religious principles, the creed of our founding fathers, a common language of love to drive out prejudice. King framed our greatest moral failing as an opportunity to come together. From an identity politics that emphasized our common humanity, we've now evolved to an identity politic that emphasizes having a common enemy instead. On campuses these days, current events are often depicted purely as power struggles, oppressors acting to preserve the privilege over those who are oppressed. And when you take young human beings and fill their minds with binary dimensions, in, out, right, wrong, have, have not, rich, poor, white, black, and make it a battle, many students find it thrilling. It floods them with a sense of meaning and purpose, and we're all made for meaning. But the problem is, uh, the tribal common, common enemy thinking tears a diverse nation apart rather than weaving us together. And the pattern is not just on campuses. Look at the polarization that marks our politics. When the Pew Research Center asked Democrats and Republicans to talk about each other, both parties created exactly the same word cloud. And you know, if you know what a word cloud is, for both parties, they viewed the other with these words. Close-minded, dishonest, immoral, lazy, unintelligent. The problem is always what? over there with somebody else. It won't be easy to go back to common humanity forming politics because of our individualism. Our individualism feeds tribalism, causes us to withdraw further and further into self-referential communities that are afraid of the other. And that's what this text addresses. How do we break out of that cycle of tribalism and individualism so that rather than us being as the church a force furthering division in the world, we as a church become a force of healing and reconciling power. That's kind of what's at stake in the text as we look at uh, these 10 lepers, and Nathan read the story for us so well, uh, 10 lepers healed by Jesus, uh, 
one who returns to Jesus and gives, gives thanks. Tremendous significance in here. If we understand both the significance of the lepers, the significance of Christ as the healer, and the significance of full healing on the part of the lepers. So those are the three things that we're going to look at here. The lepers, Christ, and the significance of full healing. Let's begin by looking at the lepers. And to look at the lepers here this morning, here's what we have to do. We're going to, this is going to sound like a little bit of a seminary lecture for a minute here, but we have to put on two lenses, right? We're going to look at the lepers first physically and socially, and then second, spiritually. They're related, but... If you don't take the glasses off and look differently, it creates problems and tremendous, mis- like interpretive problems. So, let's look at leprosy first for what it is, is a physical disease articulated in the Old and New Testament of the Bible. Here's the nature of leprosy. Uh, leprosy kills nerve endings. And so, if, if, if you have leprosy, you, you don't feel pain. And the thing is, a leper can put their hand on a hot stove and leave it there and never know that the stove is hot. And of course, if that happens, the flesh burns. They can walk in shoes that fit too tight, never react, end up with blisters, even ulcers on on their feet. They could get a splinter and never notice, and then it gets affected because they never remove it. In other words, the lack of response to pain leads to, eventually, destruction of limbs, eyebrows, and, and, and so, eventually, leprosy became uh, disfiguring. There was a physical deformity that became visible. And as soon as there was a physical deformity, uh, people knew you had leprosy, and then you were isolated, right? And so, there's this social isolation that attends to uh, having leprosy. So, not only do you have the disease itself, which is bad enough, but you're socially isolated. And that was true in Bible times, and it's, and it's remained true uh, for centuries, one of the first people to begin to address the social isolation of leprosy was a doctor, Dr. Paul Brand. And Brand uh, actually grew up in India, went to England to study medicine, went back to India as an orthopedic surgeon, but be, became deeply involved in the healing of lepers. And, and what was significant about Brand is uh, he met a man who had leprosy. Brand didn't yet know the language. He's speaking to this man in India about his leprosy, tells him it's going to be okay, and when he tells him it's going to be okay, he puts his hand on his shoulder instinctively and touches him and says, I'm, just, I'm here to tell you, look, we can fix this, you're going to be okay. When he touches him, the man begins to weep. The translator then says, listen, uh, he's crying tears of joy because from the moment it was discovered that he had leprosy, from the moment it was discovered, here, listen to this, no one has touched him. So he's lived without human touch for decades. And then this doctor comes, and the the healing began, not with a medicine, the healing actually began what? With a a touch. Do you see the significance of this? This is really important because there are people today, when we speak now not physically of leprosy, but socially of leprosy, there are people today uh, who are lepers, functionally lepers. Because uh, what happened in the Old Testament, there was, there was a prevailing paradigm, and this was like the, the dictation of the law, so to speak. According to the law in the Old Testament, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't touch a, a leper, right? Once someone is known to have leprosy, uh, you can't touch them. And then the Talmud is kind of this 
uh, interpretation of Old Testament law by scholars, what it does, the Talmud kind of expands the law. So the Talmud said, if, if someone's a leper and you're Jewish, to remain clean, you needed, you needed to be tw- uh, four cubits, that, think four yards, you need to be four yards away from that person. So if you're a leper, it's not like, as soon as I see you, I distance myself from you, do you see? Imagine, everywhere you go, people are moving away. Well, how do people know? Because in Leviticus, it says this. If you have leprosy, Leviticus uh, chapter 13, verse 45, you have to cry as you're walking. If you're in a public place where there are Jews, you have to cry, unclean. You just have to say the word. And then, so you, I say unclean, you move away. They live their whole life that way, right? Forbidden to come into a city, forbidden to live with anyone in a house, even according to Levitical law, if you, if you touched a leper's dwelling or a leper's possession, then you too became unclean and you were socially isolated. So there's a tremendous thing here in the law where there's this social isolation that is attendant to leprosy. Now, if we take off the kind of the physical lens here and, and, and look at this, not yet spiritually, but just socially now, we understand that in our culture, there may not be physical lepers, but there are social lepers. There are people in our culture who are isolated by virtue. This is our tribalism. Isolated by virtue of what? By virtue of being a different skin color. By virtue of being a different economic uh, situation. Homeless people are, are uh, treated as lepers. Uh, in, in some communities, uh, LGBT uh, community uh, individuals are, are, are treated as lepers. So wherever you go, there are... In a tribal culture, there's a leprosy present. Do you understand? And, and as a result of that leprosy, there's divisions that begin to accrue. This is exactly the story of Rwanda, right? Here's, here's the Christian missionary success story. The most evangelized community in all of Africa, over 90% com, uh, claiming faith in Christ at the moment that, ge- that, that the genocide began. How can that happen? As we'll see at the end of the sermon, that happens when we view the gospel as cleansing us, but not fully saving us. If we don't understand salvation, then what happens is we remain with our kind of social sins. The social sins remain. And one of the great social sins of all time is tribalism. When Christ has come to weave us all together in one cloth, one vast humanity, here's Jesus, all things reconciled by Christ. If that reconciling power is not appropriated and doesn't become real, social isolation remains even though we claim Christ. That's exactly what happened in Rwanda. So that you have a million dead in 100 days, Hutu, Tutsi, Hutu's killing Tutsis, Tutsis planning vengeance and retaliating as they, as they hide, hate on both sides, violence on both sides, victimization on both sides, and these were people who prior to this social uh, ailments coming to the fore, they were worshiping together in a community. So you see here, there's a, there's a profound danger in social isolation, and this is the culture in which we live today. We find people groups labeled and isolated, and then we don't cross social divides because functionally we're treating people as, as lepers. Now you may think I'm speaking too harshly here, But in reality, church history would tell us 
And sociologists would say to us, 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour of, of, of the week, right? We, you know, we gather in communities that often look like us, think like us, believe like us, vote like us as a testimony to our quote-unquote togetherness. But the, 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 kind of the underbelly of that is this growing unwillingness that happens among people of faith to cross social divides to create what's God's intended community, diversity, a, a fabric woven together. So all of that's wrapped up in this physical social side of leprosy. So we've been looking at that. Now we take that lens off. And now, what, what do we learn spiritually from leprosy in the Old Testament? And this is a second and significant application. You see, in the Old Testament, uh, leprosy is a picture of sin. And, and it's really more than just a picture of sin. It's a spiritual leprosy is my failure to respond to the pain of sin. Does that make sense? In other words, um, if physical leprosy is I touch a stove and it's hot and I leave it there, then the spiritual application is this. God is trying to show us something in the Old Testament. He's saying, look, I've given you a conscience, right? I've given you a conscience. And if when you move with an action or I'm calling you to action and you don't move, you're, you're supposed to act you don't. You're not supposed to act you do. As a, this is a gift from God. There will be in your conscience what? Pain. Does that make sense? And then, both in the Old Testament and the New, there's a phrase that accrues over and over again when people are not listening to their conscience. Do you know what it is? In the Old Testament and the New, God says this, don't harden your what? Does anyone know? Heart. Don't harden your heart. What does that mean? That means, look, I've given you, I've, I've given you here this gift of pain. L pay attention. In other words, if... If you're about to lie and, you, and there's something in you and you know it's wrong and you do it anyway, then you're beginning this process of kind of spiritual leprosy. You're hardening your heart. Because what happens with the hardening of the heart is you lose your capacity to hear that inner voice that's directing you. Does, does that make sense? So God is speaking, don't do that. And you do it. Well, now you're hardening your heart. God's, God will keep speaking, but you'll become hard of hearing. That's your leprosy. So next time, this is what you hear. Don't do that. Then this is what you hear. Don't do that. Then, don't do that. Then this is what you hear. And you're like, I didn't hear anything. Precisely. That's a hard heart. And now you're kind of stuck in sin. You can come, worship, sing, and carry a problem. But here's the beauty of leprosy. If I put my hand on the stove, eventually, even though I don't feel pain, the, my, my sickness becomes visible. Does that make sense? And so here's what God is trying to teach you. Look, if you don't pay attention to your own conscience, if you don't pay attention to the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, uh, then don't worry. The, the, the next thing that will happen is the pain of your bad choices will ultimately become visible. <laughs> and when the pain of your bad choices become visible, undeniable, then uh, people will rise up, we hope, in your life, speak the truth that needs to be said, or you will rise up in your own life and say, you know what? Actually, I have a problem. 
And that's a gift from God that we are woven together in such a way that when our pain becomes visible, we have, a, we have an opportunity to name it. And the other thing that's a gift of God is you can't continue to make terrible choices, self-destructive choices, and forever hide it. You can't do that. You can try. But it, the bad choices always become visible. That's, the, that's a gift from God. Visible at least to someone, maybe your spouse. I know a situation where um, a woman uh, uh, had come to me many, many years ago and said I was looking at my um, husband's computer and I discovered that he has an addiction to pornography. What, what should I do? Now, I'm not here to, this is not a pastoral counseling session, so I'm not, A, I'm not going to reveal everything that I said. B, my advice to her was to her, so don't take this and apply it without talking to somebody, but this is what I said. I said, I think in your case, you need to say to your husband, look, um, I, I want you to, I mean, she drew a line in the sand. She said, uh, this is very serious. It's been going on a long time. You've been hiding from me. You've been lying to me. We're going to separate with a goal of reconciliation. And that's, that's exactly what they did. We're going to separate with a goal of reconciliation. Uh, you need to get counseling. I'm going to get counseling. We're going to get counseling together. Then I hope after a while you start dating me again, then we move back in and we reconcile. She gave him this news. This is like burning flesh, right? Hot stove, burning flesh. And this is what she's saying. You need help. She's telling him, right? He got really mad at her. He called me. He said, you tell, you give her that advice? I said, yeah. He started kind of swearing at me on the phone. He said, well, that's it then, you know? She does this, I'm going to divorce her. I said, you're not going to divorce her. You love her. He goes, yeah, you're right. I do. I'm not going to divorce her. <laughs> but I'm not going to counseling. I said, no, you're going to go to counseling because you, look, you have a problem. You know you need help. He says, yeah, you're right. I do. I, I, I got I, I to go to counseling. I'm not going to date her. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you're right. I'll, I'll date her. And then over a two-year period, I'm happy to report, tremendous, not only reconciliation, but this will get to the end of our story, a ministry to other couples who are going through similar stuff. Do you see? But it all starts because God has given us kind of the gift of pain. And the easiest way to deal with your pain is this. Uh, when the Holy Spirit says, hey, that's hot, then you listen and deal with it. But if you don't want to, okay, fine. You, you like burning flesh, good for you. Then keep your hand there. You know, keep making a destructive choice over and over and over again until it is undeniable. And then other people are going to name it for you. Our hope and prayer is that at some point, the smell of burning flesh is so bad that you're able to say what they say in AA, I've got a problem. Right? And, and isn't it beautiful that God has designed the world uh, that way? Right? So that, so that eventually, the stuff that we're trying to hide becomes public enough that we have to name it. And, and that's the gift of leprosy, spiritually. So, here's these lepers wandering around. They're in social isolation. They're on the margins. They're, they're, they're in our culture. They're in tent cities, they're of 
sexual orientation with which we don't agree, whatever it is, right? Different color skin, different income level, different education, different political party. They're, people are isolated. And as we've already seen, the law tended to isolate. But now, here's the turning point to looking at Jesus. What the law could not do, Romans 8.3, God did in Christ. So we find something different. We find something different in Christ. What we find in Christ is not isolation, but transformation. So we're going to look at that uh, for just a few minutes here. Let's look at the Jesus response. It says in the text, Luke 17, that Jesus was heading toward Jerusalem and was passing along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Two, two significant observations here. First of all, if you draw a line, any line uh, from Samaria, to, uh, uh, from uh, uh, the north to the south, right, from Samaria to, to Jerusalem, you don't have to go through Galilee. In other words, this is not, Jesus isn't really just heading to Jerusalem. Jesus is intentionally going to the borderlands, is the observation. And he's, he's going to, the, why is he going to the borderlands? Because who lives in the borderlands? I'll tell you who, people on the margins. In other words, Jesus isn't in the mainstream here with, you know, the elite, the educated, the up-and-coming, the movers, the shakers. Jesus is in a place of marginalized people. And he, and he goes there to cross social divides, partly to show us who are now the presence of Christ, that this too is our calling. We are called to be people who move to people who are on the, on the edges. Does that, does that make sense? We're called to be people who are blessing those who have no apparent uh, reason to be the recipient of blessing. This, this, I just think this is a game changer. When I was uh, studying architecture, I'd, I'd moved from uh, the Central Valley of California to the coast. My dad had died a couple years earlier, I was super depressed, super anxious, and unhealthy. And uh, I'd say suffering from some anxiety issues and withdrawal, social withdrawal. And uh, one of the turning points in, in, in my spiritual journey and in my life, one of the turning points, was a student, a fellow architecture student, met me in the dorm and became, became my friend. I've shared this with you guys before, but I, I want to share it again just to share this incredible significance he had no reason, and as I look back retrospectively, he had no reason to reach to me, but I needed what he had to offer. Does that make sense? And so th this is our calling as people of faith, with people who cross divides in order to bless people, not for some reciprocating possibility, but simply because giving blessing to another is transforming the other. And this is, I think this is huge, right? This is why Jesus elsewhere shares um, um, in his teaching. He says, look, you're going to throw a party. When you create the guest list, don't invite people who are going to throw a party back to you. If you're going to throw a party, invite people who what? Who will never be able to throw a party for you, right? Because now you're able to give lavishly. Just begin to think that way, and it becomes a game changer, not only for the recipients of that blessing, but because it becomes a game changer for you. So you're going to throw a party, then, then, then invite people to the party who, who can't give themselves. 
So, so this is what Jesus is doing. And, and uh, he is walking now among these lepers. And verse 13 and 14 reads this way. The lepers collectively shouting, they see Jesus. They say, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And when Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And they went and they were cleansed. Now, a couple things. First of all, when they're shouting at Jesus, what do they call him? Master. Second, they ask, what do they say? They say, man, we've been screwed over. They don't say that. They say, show us mercy. This is very, very important. Because when they ask for mercy, what they're saying in as for mercy is, look, we know that we don't have the resources in and of ourselves to fix ourselves. We know it. And so now we're looking, we're asking, we're asking Jesus to, to give something to us. We can't repay him because he's not sick. We can only receive from him. I have a need. Only Christ can meet it. Master, have mercy. That's a good posture. Like, good in this sense, there's a, there's a tendency in our culture, I think, to kind of play a victim card and say that the problem that we have internally is because of outward systems somewhere. Do you understand what I mean by that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you why I'm suffering with poverty. It's because of the man. I'll tell you why I'm suffering my, my disease. It's because of the stupid healthcare system. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I'm suffering in this way. It's because of something out there. And so then we shake our fist in anger, but we're never healed by that. Uh, a, like step one in AA is what? It's kind of, step one is A and B. Like A, I have a problem. I have a problem. B, I can't fix my problem. If you can't, if you can't do step one, you never get to step two. I have a problem. And in and of myself, I don't have the resource. I have to look for a higher power to give me what I don't have in and of myself. So when they shout at Jesus and acknowledge him as master, and they say have mercy, they're doing step one. Jesus, we have, we have a problem. We're lepers. Doesn't matter why, doesn't matter how, we are sick and we can't fix ourselves and we're asking you to intervene on our behalf. And so this story, look, if we're going to apply this story to our own lives, then we have to begin in the story by identifying with the lepers. In other words, lepers know their need and they're self-aware enough to, to name their issue and then, they, and then they look to Christ for an answer to their problem. I went off to architecture school, changed my major, became a music major, went off and did music things for a while, then went to seminary because I just want to study the Bible. And I, and, I, and I got a job, part-time job in a, chur a church as a, as a youth pastor. I didn't want to be a pastor, but whatever, I needed a job, so I did that for a little while. And so I had this job as a youth pastor. And then, I'll never forget, uh, within a very short period of time, like a week, the pastor comes to me and says, man, Richard, you're killing it in youth ministry. We're going to offer you, you're about to graduate, like it's January, you're going to graduate in June. We're going to offer you a full-time job in LA, 
Now, I had said to my wife, hey, uh, we're only going here for seminary, and then we're out of here because she didn't like L.A. I didn't like the Dodgers, so we wanted, we wanted to be gone, right? So, like, we're going we're gonna to leave, so don't worry about it. And now, full-time job offer, and then I'll never forget, I'm in, I'm in class, and then some gal comes into the class, hands me a note, says, hey, your wife's on the phone. I got on the phone, and this is now, like, early February or whatever, and my wife says, oh, hey, honey, exciting news, I'm pregnant, first child, right? And I was, for her, excited, ooh, cool, have the phone, and I'm terrified. I am terrified, right? Because you may or, not, may or may not know this about me, but I'm insecure enough to wonder if anyone would ever hire me to do anything, right? And I go, are you kidding me? I'm going to have a baby now? I have to provide for a baby? I can't provide for a baby. I mean, I always knew that if I couldn't do stuff, my wife could at least do stuff. And so someone in the family is going to be competent. I don't, I don't have to have that. Do I have to have that pressure now? I have to have that pressure? Well, whatever. In, in our case, I felt that pressure. Right or wrong, I felt that pressure. And I was terrified. Now, here's how the story applies, right? I had to go, I had to, go to God and say, God, I, can't, I, don't think I, can prov- I don't think I can be a good dad. I don't think I can be a good provider. I don't think I can be a good father. I'm afraid. Because I, I knew. I, like, I would put my head on a pillow at night and I would have dreams of my child starving and, or, my, or my child you know, crying and I don't know what to do. I was, I mean, this was, for me, terrifying. So I had to, I had to, I had to name it. God, I'm afraid. That's where it starts. We have to name our stuff. Does that make sense? Now, when the, when the lepers name their stuff, what does Jesus do? And this is the next thing. It's very practical. Jesus always responds to all of us with a next step. Next step. Uh, and so their next step, What? What does Jesus say? Hey, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, that's very counterintuitive because, remember, a priest, like no Jew can be within 12 feet of a leper. And my leprosy is evident. If I walk toward the priest and I have leprosy, the priest is going to say, stay away, right? So it's counterintuitive, but they go anyway, and on the way, they're healed. Does this make sense? Watch, Jesus, all, when I name my problem, Jesus always gives me the next step to take, always. In, in the Old Testament, Naaman was a guy, he had leprosy, also a Syrian, like many of these guys were. And uh, Elisha says, hey, go wash yourself in the river. And Naaman was like this, really? Like, I'm expect, like, you, hey, you're Elisha. Like, you can perform miracles. Can't you do something that's going to wow the crowd here? And so he doesn't like what he hears as a solution to his problem, but here's what's significant. Even though I don't like it, even though it doesn't make me comfortable, even though it's counterintuitive, even though it makes no sense, listen, I'm going to what? Do it anyway. Are you with me? So here's, for me, terrified. God, I'm terrified. A dad, really? Well, at least 
I have a full-time job offer, at least. That's good news. And am I praying about this? Uh, this is what God says to me. Go tell the pastor you're, you're going to quit your job. I go, I don't want to quit my, look, it's going to go from part-time to full-time. Not part-time to no time. I'm a, I'm a, there's a baby in there. Right. It's going to be hungry soon, right? I got to provide here. Nope, nope. Like, go quit your job. Go wash in the river. Go show yourself a priest. And something in you regarding the next step shouts what? No. Thanks. Anyway, I'd prefer a different step. But the problem is if you want to be healed from leprosy, the only step that will heal you is God's next step. And I promise you this, you won't always like it. So I had to go to the pastor and say, yeah, I'm, I'm going I'm to quit actually because I don't feel called to Los Angeles. My wife and I have talked about it. We don't feel called. Oh, you have another job? Uh, no. No. Prof went to me. The professor took me over coffee. He said, Richard, what are you doing? I said, well, you know, we feel called actually to the northern country, right? Anything north of Portland. That's where we want to go. We feel called. We thought it was going to be Alaska. We feel called north. We're going to live in the Northwest, I said, even at a point. And this professor laughed. He said, oh, doesn't everybody? That's what he said. He said, nobody gets to live there, right? You're here in L.A. Come on, take your job. I don't know. All I'm telling you is I prayed. This is what we did. This is what we did. So hear me. There's always a next step. Now, let's, we got to close this thing out. So, so they go. What happens? There's three things. Like, they're all cleansed. This is the Greek language here. You read the story, verse 14, they're all cleansed, and they're all healed, but only one is made well. What's that mean? Huh, pretty significant, actually. Cleansed is this Greek word, ketharidzo, and here's what it means. It means, look, uh, the leprosy's gone. You're, you're cleansed. Healing, somewhat synonymous but made well, verse 19, only the guy who came back and gave thanks was made well. What does that, what's that mean? Well, the word for made well, so interesting, is the word sozo, from which we get the word salvation. Now, what's interesting is nobody translates this salvation. Why? Because here's the thing. We, we don't really, we, we don't understand salvation as evangelicals. We confuse salvation with Catharizzo, being cleansed. And uh, we don't want to make that mistake. Because, because being cleansed simply means this. Look, uh, to, to, to now kind of spiritualize this, being cleansed means this. You're cleansed from sin's power by confessing your sin. Like, oh yeah, I, when I name my race, my greed, my fear of being a dad, my fear of be, being a provider, what, my bitterness, my fear of failure, my anxiety, when I name it, I'm, I'm cleansed from kind of the penalty of it. Does that make sense? Like, oh yeah, you're forgiven. That's 1 John 1, 9. Cleansed, forgiven, good, good, good. But, like Romans 5, 10 says this. It says, if I've been justified, read cleansed and healed. If I've been reconciled, justified by the, by the death of Christ, much more having reconciled by the death, I'll be saved by the what? Life of Christ. Hear me. It's one thing to be forgiven. Good, you're forgiven. But many of us, what, 
what keeps us stuck in the cycle of individualism is we sin, we fail, we confess. We sin, we fail, we confess. We sin, we fail, we confess. And we're never set free from our sin. We're never saved into the life for which we're created. A life of blessing, a life of crossing social divides, a life of being a source of healing in the lives of others. We're never saved. Ten were reconciled, one entered into the life for which he's created. And I, I want you to be the one. I want us to be collectively the one. How can we be the one? But by receiving not only Christ's death for my forgiveness, but receiving Christ's life for my transformation. Do you hear me? In other words, you may have this morning a presenting problem. Good, you have a presenting problem. We all, we all do. I have an anxiety issue. I have, a, I have a secret addiction nobody knows about. I self-medicate with alcohol. I, 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 I'm greedy. I'm, I'm holding on to my money. I'm not giving the way I should. I'm, I'm socially, I'm afraid of people. What? Great, you have, a, you, have a, you have an issue. Good. Listen, when you come to Christ and Christ gives you a next step to take, there's a step after the next step. And that's this. Jesus, I want to receive all that you are so that I can not only be healed of my issue, but enter into the life for which I'm created. I mean, it's one thing to be a dad. It's another thing to fully live into my calling. Do you understand? It's one thing to be healed from anxiety. It's another to be a source of peace in the life of another. It's one thing to be healed from my disease. It's another thing to be a healer. It's one, it's one thing to be healed from isolation. It's another to cross social divides and actually bless others. They're two different things. And many of us have settled for less than salvation. Do you see? We want forgiveness. We want to know we're going to heaven when we die. Good for you. You have it. But when Jesus said, I came, John 10, that you might have life, that's not what he meant. I don't want you to just not have leprosy. I want you to go out and be healing in the world. For that to happen... We need to come with empty hands receiving all that Christ is and say, Jesus, I don't want to just be healed, but I want to be transformed so I can live fully into my calling. That's the invitation as we close in prayer this morning. Jesus, thank you that your desire is that the church would be nothing less than the body of Christ on earth, that we now, having been filled with nothing less than your divine life, would walk out into our city, Father, as people of blessing and hope and mercy and healing and reconciliation and justice and generosity and forgiveness. And my prayer, Father, is that each one of us this morning would name our presenting problem, our leprosy, so that we can then receive all that you are, not just for our healing, but so that we might become the healers you want us to be. And we'll thank you for it as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's worship together.